What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 19. Book the 19th of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 19, Book the 19th. Argument. Thetis, having brought Achilles his new armor, and promised to preserve the body of Patroclus from corruption, he is reconciled to Agamemnon, and being miraculously invigorated by Minerva, goes forth to battle, regardless of the prediction of his fate by his horse Xanthus saffron-robed morn was rising from the streams of ocean that she might bear light to immortals and mortals but thetis came to the ships bearing the gifts from the god her dear son she found lying upon patroclus bitterly lamenting and his numerous companions were lamenting around him but near to him stood the divine of goddesses and hung upon his hand and spoke and addressed him my son let us suffer him now to lie grieved although we be since first he has been laid low by the counsel of the gods but do thou receive these distinguished arms from vulcan very beautiful such as no man has ever worn upon his shoulders having thus spoken the goddess placed the armor before achilles and they all curiously wrought clashed aloud then tremor seized all the myrmidons nor did any one dare to look directly at them but they fled in fear but when achilles saw them the more rage entered him and his eyes shone terribly beneath his eyelids like a flame and he was delighted holding in his hands the splendid gifts of the god but after he had delighted his mind beholding these artificial works he immediately addressed to his mother winged words mother mine the god hath indeed given arms such as are fit to be works of immortals nor that a mortal man could make truly now will i arm myself but i very much fear lest in the meantime the flies having entered the gallant son of menoetius by his spear inflicted wounds create maggots and pollute the course for life in it is destroyed and all the parts of the body grow putrid but him the silver-footed goddess thetis then answered my child let not these things be a care to thy mind i will endeavour to drive away from him the fierce swarms the flies which devour heroes slain in battle for although he lie an entire year his body shall always be uncorrupted or even better but do thou having summoned the grecian heroes to an assembly having renounced thy wrath towards agamemnon at the shepherd of the people arm thyself quickly for war and put on thy might thus therefore having spoken she infused into him the most daring courage and then instilled into patroclus through the nostrils ambrosia and ruby nectar that his body might be uncorrupted but noble achilles went along the shore of the sea shouting fearfully and aroused the grecian heroes so that even those who used formerly to remain in the assemblage of the ships both those who were pilots and who held the rudders of the ships and the pursuers who were at the ships dispensers of food even these men indeed went to the assembly because achilles appeared for he had long abstained from the grievous battle 
and two servants of mars the warlike son of tydeus and noble ulysses went limping leaning upon the spear for they still had painful wounds and advancing they sat in the front seats but last came the king of men agamemnon having a wound for him also in the sharp battle coon the son of antenor had wounded with his brazen spear then when all the greeks were assembled swift-footed achilles rising up amongst them said son of atreus this would surely have been somewhat better for both thee and me when we too grieved at heart raged with soul-devouring contention for the sake of a girl would that diana had slain her with an arrow in the ships on that day when wasting i took lernessus then indeed so many greeks had not seized the mighty ground in their teeth under the hands of the enemy i being continually enraged this however was better for hector and the trojans but i think the greeks will long remember the contention of you and me but let us leave these things as past although grieved subduing from necessity the soul within our bosoms and now i terminate my wrath nor is it at all fit that i always obstinately be enraged but come quickly incite the long-haired achaeans to battle in order that still i may make trial of the trojans going against them if they wish to pass the night at the ships but of them i think that any will very gladly bend the knee whoever shall escape out of the destructive fight from my spear thus he spoke but the well-grieved greeks rejoiced the magnanimous son of peleus renouncing his wrath but them the king of men agamemnon also addressed out of the same place from his seat nor advancing into the midst o friends heroes of the greeks servants of mars it is becoming indeed that ye should hearken to me thus rising nor is it convenient that thou shouldst interrupt for it is difficult even for one being skilled but in a great uproar of men how can any one hear or speak but he is interrupted although being a clear-toned orator i indeed will direct myself to the son of peleus but do ye the other greeks understand and carefully learn my meaning often already have the greeks spoken this saying to me and have rebuked me but i am not to blame but jove and fate and erinus roaming amid the shades who during the assembly cast into my mind a sad injury on that day when i myself took away the reward of achilles but what could i do for the deity accomplishes all things pernicious ate the venerable daughter of jove who ignores all her feet are tender for she does not approach the ground but she walks over the heads of men injuring mankind and one at least she fetters for at one time she injured even jove who they say is the most powerful of men and gods but him judo being a female deceived by her guile on that day when elabeni was about to bring forth mighty hercules and well-walled thebes he indeed boasting had said among all the gods hear me all ye gods and all ye goddesses whilst i speak those things which the mind within my bosom urges this day elithia presiding over births shall bring into the light a certain man who shall be ruler over all his neighbours one of those men of the blood of my race but him the august juno addressed devising guile thou shalt lie nor shalt thou ensure accomplishment to thy speech but come swear a firm oath to me o olympian that he shall indeed be ruler over all his neighbours who shall this day fall between the feet of a woman among those men who are of the blood of thy family thus she spoke but jove perceived not her crafty design but he swore the mighty oath and afterwards was much befooled then juno springing forth quitted the top of olympus and came speedily to achaean argus where she knew the noble spouse of sothenelus the son of perseus and she indeed was pregnant of her beloved son and the seventh month was at hand 
and she brought him into light being deficient the number of months but kept back the delivery of alemone and restrained the elithiae and herself bearing the message addressed jove the son of saturn father jove hurler of the red lightning i will put a certain matter in thy mind a noble man is now born who shall rule the argives eurystheus the son of perseus thy offspring nor is it unbecoming that he should govern the argives thus she spoke but sharp grief smote him in his deep mind and immediately he seized ate by her head of shining curls enraged in his mind and swore a powerful oath that ate who injures all should never again return to olympus and the starry heaven thus saying he cast her from the starry heaven whirling her round in his hand but she quickly reached the works of men on her account he always groaned when he beheld his beloved son suffering unworthy toil under the labours of eurystheus so i also when the great crest-tossing hector was thus destroying the greeks at the sterns of the ships was not able to forget the wrong which i had formerly foolishly committed but since i have suffered harm and jove has taken away my reason i am willing again to appease thee and to give infinite presence but arise to the battle and incite the other people and i myself will pledge myself to furnish all the presents as many as noble ulysses yesterday going to thee promised in thy tents yet if thou wilt wait a little although hastening to battle and my servants taking the presents from my ship shall bring them that thou mayest see that i will present thee with appeasing offerings but him swift-footed achilles answering addressed most glorious son of atreus king of men agamemnon whether thou wilt furnish gifts as is meet or keep them with me will be seen but now let us very quickly be mindful of the contest for it is not fitting to waste time in idle talk nor to delay as a mighty work is yet undone but as some one may again behold achilles among the front ranks destroying the phalanxes of the trojans with his brazen spear so also let some one of you keeping this in mind fight with his man but him ulysses of many wiles answering addressed not thus brave as thou art o godlike achilles urge on the sons of the greeks fasting towards ilium about to fight with the trojans for the conflict will not be for a short time only when once the phalanxes of men shall mingle and the god breathe might into both but command the greeks to be fed at the ships with food and wine for this is might and vigour for a man unrefreshed by food would not be able to fight against the enemy all day to the setting sun for although he might desire in his mind to fight yet his limbs gradually grow languid and thirst and hunger come upon him and his knees fail him as he goes the man on the other hand who is satiated with wine and food fights all day with hostile men the heart within his breast is daring nor are his limbs at all fatigued before that all retire from battle and let the king of men agamemnon bring the gifts into the midst of the assembly that all the greeks may see them with their eyes and thou mayest be delighted in thy mind let him moreover swear an oath to thee standing up among the greeks that he has never ascended her bed nor has been mingled with her as is a custom o king of men and wives and to thee thyself also let the soul within thy breast be placid then let him next conciliate thee by a rich banquet within his tents that thou mayest not have aught wanting of redress and for the future o son of atreus thou wilt be more just towards another for it is by no means unworthy that a king should appease a man when he may first have given offence but him the king of men agamemnon in return addressed i rejoice o son of laertes having heard thy speech for with propriety hast thou gone through and enumerated all things 
these things i am willing to swear as my mind orders me in presence of a god nor will i perjure myself but let achilles remain here at least for a little while though hastening to battle and do all ye others remain assembled until they bring the gifts from my tents and we strike faithful leagues to thyself however o ulysses i give this charge and order thee selecting the principal youths of all the greeks to bear from my ship the gifts as many as we yesterday promised that we should give to achilles and to lead hither the women but let talthybius also quickly prepare for me through the wide army of the greeks a boar to sacrifice to jove and the sun him answering swift-footed achilles then addressed most glorious son of atreus king of men agamemnon at some other time ought they rather to attend to these things when any cessation of battle hereafter be and so much ardor be not in my bosom but at present those lie mangled whom hector son of priam subdued when jove gave him the glory but ye urge them to food now indeed i should excite the sons of the greeks to fight fasting but with the setting sun to prepare a large supper after we have revenged our disgrace before that neither drink nor food shall pass down my throat my companion being slain who lies in my tent torn with a sharp brass turned towards the vestibule whilst his comrades mourn around these things are not a care to my mind but slaughter and bloodshed and the dreadful groans of heroes but him much scheming ulysses answering addressed o achilles son of peleus by far the bravest of the greeks thou art superior indeed to me and not a little more valiant with the spear but i indeed excel thee much in prudence because i was born before thee and no more wherefore let thy mind be restrained by my words soon is there a satiety of contest to the men a most abundant crop of whom the brass pours upon the earth but the harvest is very small when jove who is the umpire of the battle of men inclines his scales it is by no means fit that the greeks should lament the dead with the stomach for in great numbers and one upon the other are they every day falling when therefore could any one respire from toil but it is necessary to bury him whosoever may die having a patient mind weeping for a day but as many as survive the hateful combat should be mindful of drinking and of food in order that we may ever the more ceaselessly contend with our enemies clad as to our bodies in impenetrable brass nor let any of the troops lie by awaiting another exhortation for evilly will that exhortation come upon him whoever may be left at the ships of the greeks but advancing in a body let us stir up the keen battle against the horse-breaking trojans he said and chose as his companions the son of glorious nestor the Meges, son of phileus thoas and Meriones, icomedes son of creon and menelippus and they proceeded to go towards the tent of agamemnon son of atreus immediately after the word was spoken and the work was perfected seven tripods they bore from the tent which he had promised him and twenty splendid goblets and twelve steeds and straightway led forth seven blameless women skilled in works but the eighth was fair-cheeked perseus but ulysses placing ten whole talents of gold led the way and with him the other youths of the greeks bore the presents and placed them in the midst of the assembly but agamemnon rose up and Talthybius, like unto a god in his voice stood beside the shepherd of the people holding a boar in his hands then the son of atreus drawing the knife with his hands which always hung by the great scabbard of his sword cutting off the forelock of the boar prayed lifting up his hands to jove but all the greeks sat in silence in the same spot listening in a becoming manner to the king but praying he spoke looking towards the wide heaven now first let jove be witness and the most supreme and best of gods and earth and sun and ye furies 
who beneath the earth chastise men, whoever may swear a falsehood. Never have I laid hands upon the maid Briseis, needing her for the sake of the couch, or any other purpose. But inviolate has she remained in my tents. But if any of these things be false, may the gods inflict on me those very many distresses which they inflict when men sin in swearing. He said, and cut the throat of the boar with a ruthless brass, which Talthibius, whirling round, cast into the mighty water of the hoary sea, as food for fishes. But Achilles, rising, said among the war-loving Greeks, O father Jove, certainly thou givest great calamities to men, for never could a treatise have so thoroughly aroused the indignation in my bosom, nor foolish, led away the girl, I being unwilling. But Jove, for some intent, wished death should happen to many Greeks. But now go to the repast, that we may join battle. Thus then he spoke, and dissolved the assembly in haste. They indeed were separated, each to his own ship, but the magnanimous Myrmidons were occupied about the gifts, and bearing them went to the ship of godlike Achilles. These they laid up in the tents, and placed the women in seats, but the illustrious attendants drove the horses to the stud. But afterwards Briseis, like unto golden Venus, when she beheld Patroclus lacerated with a sharp spear, throwing herself about him, wept aloud, and with her hands tore her breast and tender neck, and fair countenance. Then the woman, like unto the goddesses, weeping, said, O Patroclus, most dear to my wretched soul, I left thee indeed alive, departing from my tent, but now returning I find thee dead. O chieftain of the people, how in my case evil ever succeeds evil! The hero indeed to whom my father and venerable mother had given me, I saw pierced with a sharp brass before the city, and three beloved brothers whom the same mother had brought forth to me, all drew on the destructive day. Nevertheless thou didst not suffer me to weep, when swift Achilles slew my husband, and laid waste the city of divine Mines, but thou saidst thou wouldst render me the wedded wife of noble achilles lead me in the ships to phythia and prepare the nuptial feast amongst the myrmidons therefore do i insatiably lament thee dead being ever gentle thus she spoke weeping and the women lamented for patroclus as a pretext but really each for her own ills and around him achilles were collected the elders of the greeks entreating him to take refreshment but he moaning refused I entreat you, if any of my beloved companions would be obedient to me, bid me not satiate my heart with food or drink, since heavy grief hath invaded me, but I will wait entirely till the setting sun and will endure. So saying, he dismissed the other kings, but two sons of Atreus remained, and noble Ulysses, Nestor, Idomeneus, and the aged knight Phoenix, constantly endeavouring to delight him sorrowing, nor was he at all delighted before he should enter the mouth of bloody war. But remembering Patroclus, he frequently heaved a sigh, and said, Surely once thou too, O unhappy one, dearest of my companions, wouldst thyself have set before me a plentiful feast, within my tent speedily and diligently, when the Greeks hastened to make tearful war upon the horse-breaking Trojans. But now thou liest mangled, but my heart is without drink and food, though they are within, from regret for thee for I could not suffer anything worse, nor even if I were to hear of my father being dead, who now perhaps sheds the tender tear in Pythia from the want of such a son, while I in a foreign people wage war against the Trojans for the sake of detested Helen, or him, my beloved son, who was nurtured for me at Skyros, if indeed he still lives, godlike Neoptolemus, for formerly the mind within my bosom hoped that I alone should perish here in Troy, far from steed-nourishing Argus, and that thou shouldst return to Pythia. 
that thou mightest lead back my son in thy black ship from Skyros, and mightest show him everything, my property, my servants, and my great lofty domed abode. For now I suppose that Peleus is either totally deceased, or that he barely alive suffers pain from hateful old age, and that he is continually expecting bad news respecting me, when he shall hear of my being dead. Thus he spoke, weeping, and the elders also groaned, remembering each of them the things which they had left in their dwellings. But the son of Saturn felt compassion, seeing them weeping, and immediately to Minerva addressed winged words. O daughter mine, thou entirely now desertest thy valiant hero. Is Achilles then no longer at all a care to thee in thy mind? He himself is sitting before his lofty beaked ships, bewailing his dear companion, while the others have gone to a banquet. But he is unrefreshed and unfed. Go, therefore, instill into his breast nectar and delightful ambrosia, that hunger may not come upon him. So saying, he urged on Minerva, who was before eager. But she, like unto a broad-winged, shrill-voiced harpy, leaped down from the heavens through the air. The Greeks, however, were then arming themselves throughout the camp, when she instilled into the bosom of Achilles nectar and delightful ambrosia, that unpleasant hunger might not come upon his limbs. Then she went to the solid mansion of her powerful sire, and they apart poured forth from the swift ships. And as when thick snowflakes fly down from Jove, beneath the force of the cold, air-clearing Boreas, so from the ships were borne out crowded helmets, shining brightly, and bossed shields, strong cavitied corslets and ashen spears. But the sheen reached to heaven, and all the earth around smiled beneath the splendor of the brass, and the trampling of the feet of men arose beneath, in the midst noble Achilles was armed, and there was a gnashing of his teeth, and his eyes shone like a blaze of fire. But intolerable grief entered his heart within him, and enraged against the Trojans, he put on the gifts of the god which Vulcan toiling had fabricated for him. First around his legs he placed a beautiful greaves, joined with silver clasps. Next he put on the corslet round his breast, and suspended from his shoulders the brazen, silver-studded sword. Then he seized the shield, large and solid, the sheen of which went to a great distance, as of the moon, and as when from the sea the blaze of a burning fire shines to mariners, which is lit aloft amongst the mountains in a solitary place, but the storm bears them against their inclination away from their friends over the fishy deep, so from the shield of Achilles, beautiful and skilfully made, the brightness reached the sky. But raising it, he placed the strong helmet upon his head, and the helmet crested with horsehair shone like a star, and the golden tufts which Vulcan had diffused thick around the cone were shaken. Then noble Achilles tried himself in his arms, if they would fit him, and if his fair limbs would move freely in them. But they were like wings to him, and lifted up the shepherd of the people, and from its sheath he drew forth his paternal spear, heavy, great, and stout, which no other of the Greeks was able to brandish, but Achilles alone knew how to hurl it, a Pelian ash, which Chiron had cut for his father from the top of Pelion, to be a destruction to heroes. But Automedon and Alchemus, harnessing the steeds, yoked them, and beautiful collars were upon them. They put the bridles into their jaws, and drew back the reins towards the well-glued car, when Automedon, seizing the shining lash, fitted to his hand, leaped into the car. Achilles, armed for battle, mounted behind him, glittering in his armor like the shining sun, and terribly he gave command to the horses of his sire. Xanthus and Balius, illustrious offspring of Podargus, resolve now in a different manner to bring back your charioteer in safety to the body of the Greeks, after we are satiated with battle, nor leave him there dead, like Patroclus. 
but from beneath the yoke xanthus his swift-footed steed addressed him and immediately hung down his head and his whole mane drooping from the ring which was near the yoke reached the ground but the white-armed goddess juno gave him the power of speech now at least we will bear thee safe o impetuous achilles but the fatal day draws nigh to thee nor are we to blame but a mighty deity and violent destiny for not by our laziness or sloth have the trojans stripped the armour from the shoulders of patroclus but the bravest of the gods whom fair-haired latona brought forth slew him among the front ranks and gave glory to hector and though we can run even with the blast of zephyrus which they say is the most fleet yet to thyself it is fated that thou shouldst be violently subdued by a god and a man of him having thus spoken the furies restrained the voice but him swift-footed achilles greatly indignant addressed o xanthus why dost thou predict my death to me for it is not at all necessary for thee well do i myself know that it is my fate to perish here far away from my dear father and mother nevertheless i will not cease before the trojans are abundantly satiated with war he spoke and shouting amongst the front ranks directed on his solid-hooved steeds End of Book the Nineteenth, read by Stephen Carney. Section 20, Book the Twentieth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer, by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 20, Book the Twentieth. Argument. Jove permits the gods to join in the battle, and they take their respective places on either side. Aeneas engages Achilles, but is rescued by Neptune. Hector, in revenge for the death of his brother Polydorus, also attacks Achilles, and is only saved from death by the intervention of Apollo. Achilles then slays many Trojans. Thus around thee, O son of Peleus, were the Achaeans armed, insatiable in fight, beside their crooked ships, and the Trojans on the other side, on the acclivity of the plain, but Jove ordered Themis to summon the gods to an assembly from the top of many-valleyed Olympus, and she, going round, ordered them to proceed to the palace of Jove, nor was any one of the rivers absent, save Oceanus, nor of the nymphs who inhabit the pleasant groves and springs of rivers, and the grassy meads. Then, coming to the habitation of cloud-compelling Jove, they sat down upon shining, polished benches, which Vulcan with cunning skill had made for Father Jove. Thus were they assembled within the palace of Jove, nor did Neptune disobey the goddess, but he came to them from the sea. Then he sat in the midst, and inquired the design of Jove. Why again, O hurler of the glowing lightning, hast thou summoned the gods to an assembly? Dost thou deliberate anything respecting the Trojans and Greeks? For now their combat and the battle are on the point of being kindled. But him, cloud-compelling Jove, answering addressed, Thou knowest, O earth-shaker, my design with my breast, and for whose sake I have assembled you, for though about to perish, they are a care to me. I will, however, remain sitting on the top of Olympus whence looking, I shall delight my soul, but depart the rest of you, that ye may go to the Trojans and the Greeks. Give aid to both, according as is the inclination of each, for if Achilles alone shall fight against the Trojans, they will not even for a little sustain the swift-footed son of Peleus, Formerly, even beholding him, they fled terrified. But now, when he is grievously enraged in his mind on account of his companion, I fear lest he overthrow the wall, even contrary to fate. Thus spoke Saturnian Jove, and he stirred up the unyielding contest, 
and the gods hastened to proceed to the battle, having discordant minds. Juno, indeed, and Pallas Minerva went to the assemblage of the ships, as well as earth-shaking Neptune, and useful Mercury, who excelled in a prudent mind, with whom went Vulcan, looking savage in his might, limping, and under him his weak limbs moved with all their forces. But to the Trojans went crest-tossing Mars, and with him unshorn Phoebus, and Diana delighting in archery, Latona, Xanthus, and laughter-loving Venus, as long as the gods were apart from mortal men, so long the Greeks were greatly elated, because Achilles appeared, for he had long abstained from the dire battle, and a violent tremor came upon the Trojans, upon each of them as to their limbs, fearing because they beheld the swift-footed son of Peleus glittering in arms, equal to man-slaughtering Mars. But after the Olympians had come to the crowd of men, then arose fierce contention, the exciter of the people, and Minerva shouted, sometimes standing beside the trench, outside the wall, at other times she loudly shouted along the echoing shores. But Mars yelled aloud on the other side, like unto a dark whirlwind, keenly animating the Trojans from the lofty city, at other times running along the Samoas over Calicolone. Thus the blessed gods, inciting both sides, engaged, and among them made severe contention to break out. But dreadfully from above thundered the father of gods and men, whilst beneath Neptune shook the boundless earth and the lofty summits of the mountains. The roots and all the summits of many rilled Ida were shaken, and the city of the Trojans and the ships of the Greeks. Pluto himself, king of the netherworld, trembled beneath, and leaped up from his throne, terrified, and shouted aloud, lest earth-shaking Neptune should rend asunder the earth over him, and disclose to mortals and immortals his mansions terrible, squalid, which even the gods loathe. So great a tumult arose from the gods engaging in combat. Against King Neptune, indeed, stood Phoebus Apollo, having his winged shafts, and against Mars the azure-eyed goddess Minerva. Opposed to Juno stood the goddess of the golden bow, Huntress Diana, rejoicing in archery, the sister of Apollo, and opposite Latona, the preserver, useful Mercury. Against Vulcan also was a great deep eddying river, which the gods called Xanthus, and men the Scamander. Thus indeed gods went against gods, but Achilles chiefly longed to penetrate through the crowd against Hector, the son of Priam, for with his blood his mind particularly ordered him to satiate Mars, the invincible warrior. But Apollo, exciter of troops, immediately aroused Aeneas against the son of Peleus, and infused into him strong courage. And he likened himself in voice to Lycaon, the son of Priam, and having likened himself to him, Apollo, the son of Jove, said, O Aeneas, counsellor of the Trojans, where are thy threats, which, whilst carousing, thou didst promise to the leaders of the Trojans, that thou wouldst fight against Achilles, the son of Peleus? But him Aeneas answering, addressed in turn, Son of Priam, why dost thou order me, not wishing it these things, to fight against magnanimous Pelides? For shall I not now for the first time stand against twift-footed Achilles? But already, on another occasion, he chased me with his spear from Ida, when he attacked our cattle, and laid waste Lernessus and Pedasus. But Jove preserved me, who excited my strength and nimble limbs. Certainly I should have been subdued beneath the hands of Achilles, and Minerva, who proceeding, gave him victory, and encouraged him to slay the Legolans, and Trojans with his brazen spear. Wherefore it is not possible that a man should fight against Achilles, because one of the gods is ever beside him, who averts destruction. Besides also, his weapon flies direct, nor stops before it has pierced through human flesh, though if the deity would extend an equal scale of victory, not very easily would he conquer me, although he boasts himself to be all brazen. But him again King Apollo, the son of Jove, addressed, 
But do thou also pray, O hero, to the immortal gods, for they say that thou too art sprung from Venus, the daughter of Jove, but he from an inferior goddess, for the one is from Jove, and the other from the aged sea-god. But direct thy invincible brass right against him, nor let him at all avert thee by haughty words and threats. Thus saying, he breathed great courage into the shepherd of the people, and he advanced through the front ranks, accoutred in shining brass. Nor did the son of Angaces escape the notice of white-armed Juno, going against the son of Peleus through the ranks of men. But calling the gods together, she addressed them. Consider now, both Neptune and Minerva, in your minds, how these things shall be. This Aeneas, accoutred in shining brass, has advanced against the son of Peleus, and Phoebus Apollo has urged him on. But come, let us, however, turn him back again, or let some one of us stand by Achilles and give him great strength, nor let him at all be wanting in courage, that he may know that the mightiest of the immortals love him, and that those, on the contrary, are vain, who hitherto avert war and slaughter from the Trojans. But we have all come down from Olympus, about to participate in this battle, lest he should suffer anything among the Trojans to-day. But hereafter he shall suffer those things, as many as fate at his birth wove in his thread of destiny to him what time his mother brought him forth but if achilles shall not learn these things from the voice of a god he will afterwards be afraid when any god comes against him in battle for the gods when made manifest are terrible to be seen manifestly but her then earth-shaking neptune answered juno be not beyond reason enraged nor is it at all necessary i indeed would not desire that we should engage the other gods in a battle since we are much more powerful Rather let us, going out of the way, sit down upon a place of observation, but the war shall be a care to mortals. But if Mars shall begin the combat, or Apollo, or shall restrain Achilles, and not suffer him to fight, then immediately shall the strife of contention there arise to us. And I think that they, having very speedily decided it, will return to Olympus, and mix with the assembly of other gods, violently subdued by necessity under our hands." thus then having spoken the azure-haired god led the way to the lofty mound raised wall of divine hercules which the trojans and pallas minerva had made that flying he might escape from the sea monster when pursued from the shore to the plain there then neptune sat down and the other gods and drew an indissoluble cloud round their shoulders whilst on the other side they sat upon the tops of calicolone around thee o archer apollo and mars the sacker of cities thus they sat on both sides planning designs yet both were unwilling to commence grievous war but jove sitting aloft cheered them on all the plain however was filled with them and glittered with the brass of men and horses and the earth echoed under the feet of them rushing together but two heroes by far the most valiant advanced towards each other into the midst of both armies eager to fight aeneas son of anchises and noble achilles and first Aeneas, threatening, advanced, nodding with his strong cask, and before his breast he held his impetuous shield, and shook his brazen spear. But on the other side, Pelides rushed against him like a destructive lion, which men assembled together, a whole village, are anxious to kill. He, however, at first despising them, proceeds, but when some one of vigorous youths has wounded him with a dart, yawning he collects himself for a spring, and the foam arises round his teeth, and his valiant soul groans within his breast, and he lashes his sides, and thighs on both sides with his tail, and rouses himself to battle. Then grimly glaring, he is borne straight on by his strength, if he can kill some of the men, or is himself destroyed in the first crowd. Thus did his might and noble soul urge Achilles to go against the magnanimous Aeneas. 
But when now advancing, they approached each other, swift-footed noble Achilles first addressed the other. Why, O Aeneas, coming through so great a length of crowd, dost thou stand against me? Does then thy soul urge thee to fight with me, hoping that thou wilt govern the horse-breaking Trojans in the place of Priam? Yet even if thou shalt slay me, not thus will Priam place this reward in thy hand, for he has sons, and he is himself steady, nor inconstant. Or, if thou slayest me, have the Trojans cut off for thee an enclosure of soil surpassing others, suited to vines and the plough, that thou mayest cultivate it? Still I hope thou wilt effect it with difficulty, for I think I have at some other time put thee to flight with my spear. Dost thou not remember when I impetuously drove thee, when alone from the oxen with rapid feet, down the Idaean mountains? Then indeed thou didst never turn round while flying, but didst escape thence into Lernessus. But I wasted it, having attacked it with the aid of Minerva and Father Jove. The women also I led away captives, having taken away their day of freedom. But Jove and the other gods preserved thee. However, I do not think they will protect thee now, as thou castest in thy mind. But I exhort thee, retiring, to go into the crowd, nor stand against me, before thou suffer some evil. But it is a fool who knows a thing only when it is done. But him Aeneas answered, in turn, and said, Do not think, O son of Peleus, to affright me, like an infant boy, with words, since I also well know how to utter both threats and reproaches. But we know each other's race, and we know our parents, hearing the words of mortal men long since uttered, although by sight, indeed, neither dost thou know mine, nor I thine. They say, indeed, that thou art the offspring of renowned Peleus, and of thy mother Thetis, the fair-haired sea-nymph, whereas I boast myself to be sprung from magnanimous Anchises, and Venus is my mother. Of these the one or the other shall this day lament their beloved son, for I think we shall not return from the battle thus separated by childish words. But if thou desirest to be taught these matters, that thou mayest well know our race, for many men know it. Cloud-compelling Jove, indeed, first begat Dardanus, and he built Dardania for sacred Ilium, the city of articulate-speaking men, was not as yet built in the plain, and they still dwelt at the foot of many-rilled Ida. Dardanus again begat a son, King Erictonius, who was then the richest of mortal men, whose three thousand mares pastured through the marsh, rejoicing in their tender foals. Boreas, however, was enamoured of some of these when pasturing, and having likened himself to an azure-maned steed, covered them, and they, becoming pregnant, brought forth twelve female foals, which, when they bounded upon the fruitful earth, ran over the highest fruit of the stalks of corn, nor did they break them, but when they sported over the broad back of the ocean, they ran along the surface of the ridge of the hoary sea. But Erectonius begat Troes, king of the Trojans. From Troes again were descended three illustrious sons, Ilus, Asaricus, and godlike Ganymede, who indeed was the handsomest of mortal men, and whom the gods caught up into heaven to pour out wine for Jove, that on account of his beauty he might be with the immortals. Ilus again begat his renowned son Laomedon, but Laomedon begat Tithonus and Priam, Lampus, Clytius, and Hysateon, a branch of Mars, and Asericus Capus, who also begat his son Anchises. But Anchises begat me, and Priam, noble Hector. Of this race and blood do I boast myself to be. But Jove increases and diminishes valor to men as he pleases, for he is the most powerful of all. But come, let us no longer talk of these things like little boys, standing in the middle combat of the strife, for it is possible for both to utter very many reproaches, so that a hundred-oared galley would not contain the burthen. 
for the language of mortals is voluble and the discourses in it numerous and varied and vast is the distribution of words here and there whatsoever word thou mayest speak such also wilt thou hear but what need is there to us of disputes and railing that we should quarrel with each other like women who being angry with a soul-destroying strife proceeding into the middle of the way chide each other with many things true and not true for rage also suggests those things with words however thou shalt not turn me courageous for my valour before thou lightest against me with thy brass but come quickly let us make trial of each other with brazen spears he spoke and hurled his brazen spear against a dreadful shield terrible to be seen and the huge buckler resounded with the stroke of the javelin but the son of peleus alarmed held the shield from him with his strong hand for he supposed that the long spear of great-hearted aeneas would easily penetrate foolish nor did he reflect in his mind and soul that the glorious gifts of the gods are not easy to be subdued by mortal men nor to yield nor then did the heavy spear of warlike aeneas penetrate the shield but the gold stopped it the gift of the god it penetrated however through two folds but there were still three since vulcan had drawn five folds over it two brazen three inside of tin and one golden in which the brazen spear was stopped but Achilles next sent forth his long-shadowed spear, and struck against the shield of Aeneas, equal on all sides, at the outside edge, where the thinnest brass ran round it, and the ox-hide was thinnest upon it. But the Pelian ash broke through, and the shield was crushed by it. But Aeneas crouched, and being terrified, held the shield from him, whilst the spear, passing over his back, stuck in the earth eager to go on, for it had burst through both orbs of the mighty shield but he having escaped the long spear stood still but a moderate sadness was poured over his eyes terrified because the weapon had stuck so near him but achilles eagerly sprang upon him drawing his sharp sword and shouting dreadfully then aeneas seized in his hand a stone a great weight which not two men could bear such as men now are but he though alone easily wielded it then indeed had aeneas smitten him rushing on with the stone either upon the helmet or the shield which kept off grievous destruction from him and pelides in close fight had taken away his life with the sword had not earth-shaking neptune quickly perceived it and immediately addressed this speech to the immortal gods ye gods certainly there is now grief to me on account of magnanimous aeneas who will quickly descend to hades subdued by the son of peleus foolish being persuaded by the words of far-darting apollo nor can he by any means avert sad destruction from him but why now should this guiltless man suffer evils gratuitously on account of sorrows due to others for he always presents gifts agreeable to the gods who inhabit the wide heaven but come let us withdraw from him death lest even the son of saturn be angry if indeed achilles slay this man moreover it is fated that he should escape that the race of dardanus whom jove loved above all the children that were descended from him and mortal women may not perish without offspring and become extinct for already hath the son of saturn hated the race of priam and the might of aeneas shall now rule over the trojans and the sons of his sons who may be born in after times but him large-eyed venerable juno then answered o earth-shaker do thou thyself reflect within thy mind with respect to aeneas whether thou wilt withdraw him or suffer him being brave to be subdued by achilles the son of peleus for already we too i and pallas minerva have sworn many oaths amongst all the immortals that we will never help to avert the evil day from the trojans not even when all troy fired shall burn with consuming flame and the warlike sons of the greeks fire it 
But when the earth-shaking Neptune heard this, he hastened to go through the battle and the clash of spears, and came where were Aeneas and renowned Achilles. And immediately he shed a darkness upon the eyes of Achilles, son of Peleus, and he drew out the ashen spear, well guarded with brass, from the shield of magnanimous Aeneas, and laid it before the feet of Achilles, and pushed on Aeneas, lifting him high up from the ground. But Aeneas leaped over many ranks of men and many of horses, impelled by the hand of the god, and came to the rear of the troubled fight, where the Caconis were arrayed for war. But very near him came earth-shaking Neptune, and addressing him spoke winged words. O Aeneas, which of the gods commanded thee thus mad to combat against Achilles, who was at once more valiant than thou, and more dear to the immortals? But retire whenever thou shalt be opposed to him, lest even contrary to fate thou arrive at the habitation of Pluto. But when Achilles shall have attained his death and destiny, then again being confident, fight among the front ranks, because no other of the Greeks shall slay thee. So saying, he left him there, when he had told him all, and immediately afterwards dissipated the thick darkness from the eyes of Achilles, and he then saw very clearly with his eyes, whereupon groaning he addressed his magnanimous soul. Ye gods, certainly I behold this, a great marvel with mine eyes. The spear indeed lies upon the ground, nor do I at all perceive the man at whom I hurled it, desiring to kill him. Undoubtedly Aeneas too was dear to the immortal gods, although I suppose that he boasted thus idly. Let him go. There will be no spirit in him hereafter to make trial of me, who even now rejoicing has escaped from death. But come, having encouraged the warlike Greeks, I will make trial of the other Trojans going against them. He spoke, and sprang into the ranks, and cheered on every man. No longer now stand off from the Trojans, O noble Greeks, but on! Let man advance against man, and let him be eager to engage. Difficult is it for me, although being valiant, to attack so many warriors, and to fight with them all. Not even Mars, who is an immortal god, nor yet Minerva could charge and toil against the force of such a conflict. Yet whatever I can do with hands, with feet, and with strength, I declare that I will no longer be remiss, not ever so little, but I will go right through their line. Nor do I think that any Trojan will rejoice, whoever may come near my javelin. Thus he spoke, encouraging them. But illustrious Hector, upbraiding, animated the Trojans, and said that he would go against Achilles. Ye magnanimous Trojans, fear not the son of Peleus. I too could fight with words, even with the immortals, but with the spear it is difficult, for they are far more powerful. Nor shall Achilles give effect to all his words, but one part he shall fulfill, and the other leave half imperfect. Against him will I go, even though he were like to fire as to his hands, and to shining iron as to his might. Thus he spoke, inciting them, but the Trojans opposite quickly raised their spears, their strength was mingled together, and the shout arose. Then also Phoebus Apollo, standing near, addressed Hector. Hector, do not at all fight in the van with Achilles, but receive him in the crowd, and from the tumult, lest by any chance he hit thee, or strike thee with a sword in close combat. Thus he spoke, and Hector sunk back again into the thick body of men, dismayed when he heard the voice of the god speaking. But Achilles leaped among the Trojans, clad with courage as to his soul, shouting dreadfully, and first slew gallant Iphition, son of Otrintius, the leader of many people, whom the nymph Nias, born to Otrintius, the sacker of cities, under snowy Tamalus, in the rich district of Hyda. Him, eagerly rushing straight forward, noble Achilles struck with his javelin in the middle of the head, and it was entirely split in two. He gave a crash as he fell, and noble Achilles boasted over him. 
O son of Otrintius, most terrible of all men, thou liest. Death is here upon thee. Thy birth, however, is at the Gygian lake, where is thy paternal land, beside fishy Hyllus and eddying Hermus. Thus he spoke boasting, but darkness covered Iphitian's eyes. But the horses of the Greeks tore him with the tires of the wheels in the front ranks. After him Achilles smote Demoleon, son of Antenor, a brave repeller of the fight, in the temples through his brazen-cheeked helmet. Nor indeed did the brazen cask resist it, but through it the eager javelin broke the bone, and the whole brain within it was defiled, and he subdued him ardent. Next he wounded with his spear in the back Hippodamus as he was leaping down from his chariot, while flying before him. But he breathed out his soul and groaned, like as when a bull dragged round the Heliconian king Bellows, as the youths drag him, and the earth-shaker is delighted with them. So as he moaned, his fierce soul left his bones. But he went with his spear against godlike Polydorus, the son of Priam. But him his father did not permit to fight, because he was the youngest among all, and dearest to him, and surpassed all in speed. Then indeed, through youthful folly, exhibiting the excellence of his speed, he ran among the front ranks till he lost his life. Him noble swift-footed Achilles smote rushing by, in the middle of the back, where the golden rings of his belt clasped together, and the double corslet met. Right through at the navel pierced the point of the spear, and uttering a groan, he fell upon his knees. A black cloud enveloped him, and stooping down, he gathered his intestines in his hands. But when Hector perceived his brother Polydorus holding his intestines in his hands, and rolled on the earth, a darkness was immediately poured over his eyes, nor could he any longer be employed afar off, but advanced towards Achilles, like unto a flame brandishing his sharp spear. On the other hand, Achilles, as soon as he saw him, leaped up, and boasting spoke. Near is the man who has most stung my soul, who has slain my cherished companion. No longer, indeed, let us dread each other through the bridges of war. He spoke, and sternly regarding him addressed noble Hector. Come nearer, that thou mayest the sooner reach the end of death. But him, not daunted, crest-tossing Hector addressed. O son of Peleus, do not expect to terrify me now like a little boy, at least with words, since I myself also well know how to speak both revilings and reproaches. I know that thou indeed art brave, and that I am inferior to thee. But these things indeed are placed at the knees of the gods, whether although being inferior, I shall take away thy life, striking thee with my spear, since my weapon also is sharp at the point. He spoke, and brandishing sent forth his spear, and Minerva with a breath turned it back from glorious Achilles, having breathed very gently, but it came back to noble Hector and lay before his feet. But Achilles, eager to slay him, rushed furiously on, shouting dreadfully, but Apollo, as a god, very easily snatched him away, and covered him with abundant haze. Thrice, indeed, swift-footed, noble Achilles rushed on with his brazen spear, and thrice he smote the deep haze. But when he rushed on the fourth time, like unto a god, he, dreadfully chiding, addressed to him winged words. Dog, now again hast thou escaped death. Assuredly evil came very near thee, but Phoebus Apollo has now again preserved thee, to whom thou art wont to pray, when going into the clang of spears. Yet will I certainly finish thee meeting thee hereafter, if indeed any of the gods be an ally to me also. At present, however, I will go after others of the Trojans, whomsoever I can. So saying, he struck Dryops with his spear in the middle of the neck, and he fell before his feet. Him then he left, and then detained Demuchus, son of Philator, brave and great, wounding him in the knee with his spear, whom then striking with his great sword he deprived of life. But attacking both, he pushed Laogonus and Dardanus, the sons of Bias, from their chariot to the ground, wounding one with his spear, and striking the other in close combat with his sword. 
Also Tros, the son of Alaster, who came towards him, taking him by the knees, if on any terms he would spare him, and dismiss him alive, nor slay him, taking pity on their equal age, fool, who knew not that he would not be persuaded, for he was by no means a tender-minded nor gentle man, but very ferocious. Tros indeed clasped his knees with his hands, desiring to supplicate him, but Achilles wounded him in the liver with his sword, and his liver fell out, and the black blood from it filled his bosom, and darkness veiled his eyes, wanting life. But standing near Mulius, he smote him with his javelin on the ear, and immediately the brazen blade went through the other ear. Then with his large hilted sword he smote a checklist, son of Antenor, in the centre of the head, and the whole sword became tepid with blood. But purple death and violent fate seized his eyes. Then Deucalion, where the tendons of the elbow unite, there he pierced him through his hand with his brazen spear. But he, weighed down as to his hand, awaited him, perceiving death before him. But Achilles, smiting his neck with his sword, knocked the head off afar with its helmet, and the marrow sprang forth from the spine, and Deucalion lay extended on the ground. Then he hastened to go towards Rigmus, the renowned son of Piraeus, who had come from fertile Thrace, whom he smote in the middle with his javelin, and the brass was fixed in his stomach. And he fell from his chariot, and Achilles wounded in the back with his sharp javelin, Arethus, the attendant, while turning back the steeds, and threw him from the chariot, and the horses were thrown into confusion. And as the blazing fire burns through the deep dells of a dry mountain, and the dense forest is consumed, and the wind agitating turns round the flame on all sides, thus he raged in every direction with his spear like unto a deity following those that were to be slain and the black earth flowed with blood as when any one yokes broad four-headed bulls to trample out white barley on the well-leveled floor and it easily becomes small beneath the feet of the bellowing oxen so the solid-hoofed horses driven by magnanimous achilles trod down together both courses and shields and the whole axle-tree beneath was polluted with gore and the rings which were round the chariot seat which the drops from the horses hoofs spattered as well as from the fellows but the son of peleus was eager to bear away glory and was polluted with gore as to his invincible hands End of Book the Twentieth, read by Stephen Carney. Section 21, Book the Twenty-First of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer, translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 21, Book the Twenty-First Argument Having divided the Trojan army, Achilles drives one part towards the city, and the other into Xanthus, where he takes twelve youths alive, in order to sacrifice them at the tomb of Patroclus. He then slays Lycaon, and Asteropaeus, deriding the river-god Xanthus, as unable to aid his friends. The river endeavors to overwhelm him by the aid of Simois, but Vulcan defends him from the danger. Single combats of the gods then follow, but they afterwards retire to Olympus. Apollo then leads Achilles away, assuming the form of Agenor, and the Trojans are thus enabled to regain the city. But when they at last reach the course of the fairly flowing river, the eddying Xanthus, which immortal Jove begat, there separating them, he pursued some indeed through the plain towards the city, by the same way that the Greeks on the preceding day being astounded had fled when illustrious Hector raged. 
By that way were they poured forth terrified, but Juno expanded a dense cloud before them, to check them, but the other half were rolled into the deep-flowing river, with silver eddies. But they fell in with a great noise, and the deep streams resounded, and the banks around murmured. But they, with clamour, swam here and there, whirled about in the eddies, as when locusts, driven by the force of fire, fly into the air to escape to a river, but the indefatigable fire suddenly kindled blazes, and they fall through terror into the water. Thus by Achilles was the resounding river of deep-eddied Xanthus filled promiscuously with horses and men. But the Jove-sprung hero left his spear upon the banks, leaning against a tamarisk, and he leaped in like unto a god, having only his sword, and meditated destructive deeds in his mind and he smote on all sides and a shocking lamentation arose of those who were stricken by the sword and the water was reddened with blood and as when the other fish flying from a mighty dolphin fill the inmost recesses of a safe anchoring harbour frightened for he totally devours whatever he can catch so the trojans hid themselves in caves along the streams of the terrible river but he, when he was wearied as to his hands slaying, chose twelve youths alive out of the river, a penalty for dead Patroclus, the son of Menoetius. These he led out of the river, stupefied like fawns, and he bound their hands behind them with well-cut straps, which they themselves bore. And he bound their hands behind them with well-cut straps, which they themselves bore upon their twisted tunics, and gave them to his companions to conduct to the hollow ships. But he rushed on again, desiring to slay. Then did he encounter the son of Dardanian Priam, Lycaon, escaping from the river, whom he himself had formerly led away, taking him unwilling from his father's farm, having come upon him by night. But he, with a sharp brass, was trimming a wild fig tree of its tender branches, that they might become the cinctures of a chariot. But upon him came noble Achilles' unexpected evil, and then conveying him in his ships, he sold him into well-inhabited Lemnus, but the son of Jason gave his price, and from thence his guest, Imbrian Etion, ransomed him, and gave him many things, and sent him to noble Erisbe, whence, secretly escaping, he reached his father's house. Returning from Lemnus for eleven days, he was delighted in his soul, with his friends, but on the twelfth day the deity again placed him in the hands of Achilles, who was about to send him into the habitation of Hades, although not willing to go. But when swift-footed noble Achilles perceived him naked, without helmet and shield, neither had he a spear, for all these indeed he had thrown to the ground, for the sweat overcame him, flying from the river, and fatigue subdued his limbs beneath. But Achilles, indignant, thus addressed his own great-hearted soul. O gods, surely I perceive this, a great marvel with mine eyes. Doubtless the magnanimous Trojans, whom I have slain, will rise again from the murky darkness, as now this man has returned, escaping the merciless day, having been sold in sacred lemnus. Nor has the depth of the sea restrained him, which restrains many against their will. But come now, he shall taste the point of my spear, that I may know in my mind, and learn whether he will in like manner return thence, or whether the fruitful earth will detain him, which detains even the mighty. Thus he pondered, remaining still, but near him came Lycaon in consternation, anxious to touch his knees, for he very much wished in his mind to escape evil death and black fate. Meanwhile noble Achilles raised his long spear, desiring to wound him, but he ran in under it, and stooping, seized his knees, and the spear stuck fixed in the earth over his back, eager to be satiated with human flesh. But he, having grasped his knees with one hand, supplicated him, and with the other held the sharp spear, nor did he let it go, and supplicating addressed to him winged words. O Achilles, embracing thy knees, I supplicate thee, 
but do thou respect and pity me i am to thee in place of a suppliant to be revered o jove nurtured one for with thee i first tasted the fruit of ceres on that day when thou tookest me in the well-cultivated field and didst sell me leading me away from my father and friends to sacred lemnus and i brought thee the price of a hundred oxen but now will i redeem myself giving thrice as many this is already the twelfth morning to me since i came to troy having suffered much and now again pernicious fate has placed me in thy hands certainly i must be hated by father jove who has again given me to thee for my mother leothoe the daughter of aged altes brought forth short-lived me of altes who rules over the warlike lelegans possessing lofty pedasus near the satnio and priam possessed his daughter as well as many others but from her we two were born but thou wilt slay both him godlike polydorus thou hast subdued already among the foremost infantry when thou smotest him with a sharp spear and now will evil be to me here for i do not think that i shall escape thy hands since a deity has brought me near thee yet another thing will i tell thee and do thou store it in thy mind do not slay me for i am not of the same womb with hector who killed thy companion both gentle and brave thus then indeed the noble son of priam addressed him supplicating with words but he heard a stern reply fool talk not of me of ransom nor indeed mention it before patroclus fulfilled the fatal day so long to me was it more agreeable in my mind to spare the trojans and many i took alive and sold but now there is not one of all the trojans whom the deity shall put into my hands before ilium who shall escape death but above all of the sons of priam but die thou also my friend why weepest thou thus patroclus likewise died who was much better than thou seest thou not how great i am both fair and great and i am from a noble sire and a goddess mother bore me but death and violent fate will come upon thee and me whether it be morning evening or midday whenever any one shall take away my life with a weapon either wounding me with a spear or with an arrow from the string thus he spoke but his knees and dear heart were relaxed he let go the spear indeed and sat down stretching out both hands but achilles drawing his sharp sword smote him at the clavicle near the neck the two-edged sword penetrated totally and he prone upon the ground lay stretched out but the black blood flowed out and moistened the earth then achilles seizing him by the foot threw him into the river to be carried along and boasting spoke winged words lie there now with the fishes which without concern will lap the blood of thy wound nor shall thy mother weep placing thee upon the funeral couch but the eddying scamander shall bear thee into the wide bosom of the ocean some fish bounding through the wave will escape to the dark ripple in order that he may devour the white fat of lycaon perish ye trojans till we attain to the city of sacred ilium you flying and i slaughtering in the rear nor shall the wide flowing silver eddying river profit you to which ye have already sacrificed many bulls and cast solid hoofed steeds alive into its eddies but even thus shall ye die an evil death until ye all atone for the death of patroclus and the slaughter of the greeks whom ye have killed at the swift ships i being absent thus he spoke but the river was the more enraged at heart and revolved in his mind how he might make noble achilles cease from labor and avert destruction from the trojans but meanwhile the son of peleus holding his long-shadowed spear leaped upon asteropaeus son of pelagon desirous to kill him whom the wide-flowing axius begat and periboea eldest of the daughters of acesimaeus 
for with her had the deep eddying river been mingled against him achilles rushed but he emerging from the river stood opposite holding two spears for xanthus had placed courage in his mind because he was enraged on account of the youths slain in battle whom achilles had slain in the stream nor pitied them but when they were now near advancing toward each other him first swift-footed noble achilles addressed who and whence art thou of men thou who darest to come against me truly they are the sons of unhappy men who encounter my might him again the illustrious son of pelagon addressed o magnanimous son of peleus why dost thou ask my race i am from fruitful paeonia being far off leading the long-speared paeonian heroes and this is now the eleventh morning to me since i came to troy but my descent is from the wide-flowing axius who pours the fairest flood upon the earth he who begat pelagon renowned for the spear who men say begat me but now o illustrious achilles let us fight thus he spake threatening but noble achilles raised a pelian ash but the hero asteropaeus took aim with both spears at the same time for he was ambidexter with the one spear he struck the shield nor did it pierce the shield completely through for the gold restrained it the gift of a god and the other slightly wounded him upon the elbow of the right arm and the black blood gushed out but the spear passing over him was fixed in the earth longing to satiate itself with his body but second achilles hurled his straight flying ashen spear at asteropaeus anxiously desiring to slay him from him indeed he erred and struck the lofty bank and drove the ashen spear up to the middle in the bank then the son of peleus drawing his sharp sword from his thigh eagerly leaped upon him but he was not able to pluck out with his strong hand the ashen spear of achilles from the bank thrice indeed he shook it desiring to pluck it out and thrice he failed in strength and the fourth time he had determined in his mind bending to snap the ashen spear of achilles but achilles first close at hand took away his life with the sword for he smote him upon the belly at the navel and all his bowels were poured out upon the ground and darkness veiled him dying as to his eyes then achilles sleeping upon his breast despoiled him of his arms and a boasting spoke lie so it is a difficult thing for thee though descended from a river to contend with the sons of the most mighty saturnian jove thou saidst thou wert of the race of a wide flowing river but i boast myself to be of the race of mighty jove the hero ruling over many myrmidons begat me peleus son of achus but achus was from jove wherefore jove is more powerful than rivers flowing into the sea and the race of jove again is more powerful than that of a river besides a very great river is at hand to thee if it can aught defend thee but it is not lawful to fight with jove the son of saturn with him neither does king achilles vie nor the mighty strength of deep-flowing oceanus from which flow all rivers and every sea and all fountains and deep wells and even he dreads the boat of the great jove and the dreadful thunder when it bellows from heaven he said and plucked his brazen spear from the bank but him he left there after he had taken away his life lying in the sand and the dark water loved him about him indeed the eels and fishes were busied eating and nibbling the fat around his kidneys but achilles hastened to go against the paeonian equestrian warriors who were already turned to flight beside the eddying river when they saw the bravest in the violent conflict bravely subdued by the hands and sword of the son of peleus then he slew thersilicus mydon astipolis menesus thracius aeneas and ophelestes and now had swift achilles slain even more paeonians had not the deep eddying river enraged addressed him likening itself to a man and uttered a voice from its deep vortex o achilles thou excellest it is true in strength but thou doest unworthy acts above others for the gods themselves always aid thee 
if indeed the son of saturn has granted to thee to destroy all the trojans at least having driven them from me perform these arduous enterprises along the plain for now are my agreeable streams full of dead bodies nor can i any longer pour my tide into the vast sea choked up by the dead whilst thou slayest unsparingly but come even cease a stupor seizes me o chieftain of the people but him swift-footed achilles answering addressed these things shall be as thou desirest o jove nurtured scamander but i will not cease slaughtering the treaty-breaking trojans before that i enclose them in the city and make trial of hector face to face whether he shall slay me or i him thus speaking he rushed upon the trojans like unto a god and the deep eddying river then addressed apollo alas o god of the silver bow child of jove thou hast not observed the counsels of jove who very much enjoined thee to stand by and aid the trojans till the late setting evening sun should come and overshadow the fruitful earth he spoke and spear-renowned achilles leaped into the midst rushing down from the bank but the river rushed on raging with a swollen flood and turbid excited all his waves and it pushed along the numerous corpses which were in him in abundance whom achilles had slain these he cast out roaring like a bull upon the shore but the living he preserved in his fair streams concealing them among his mighty deep gulfs and terrible around achilles stood the disturbed wave and the stream falling upon his shield oppressed him nor could he stand steady on his feet but he seized with his hands a thriving large elm and it falling from its roots dislodged the whole bank and interrupted the beautiful streams with its thick branches and bridged over the river itself falling completely in then leaping up from the gulf he hastened to fly over the plain on his rapid feet terrified nor yet did the mighty god desist but rushed after him blackening on the surface that he might make noble achilles cease from toil and divert destruction from the trojans but the son of peleus leaped back as far as is the cast of a spear having the impetuosity of a dark eagle a hunter which is at once the strongest and the swiftest of birds like unto it he rushed but the brass clanked dreadfully upon his breast but he inclining obliquely fled from it and it flowing from behind followed with a mighty noise as when a ditch worker leads a stream of water from a black flowing fountain through the plantations and gardens holding a spade in his hands and throwing out the obstructions from the channel all the pebbles beneath are agitated as it flows along and rapidly descending it murmurs down a sloping declivity and outstrips even him who directs it so the water of the river always overtook achilles though being nimble for the gods are more powerful than mortals as often as swift-footed noble achilles attempted to oppose it and to know whether all the immortals who possess the wide heaven put him to flight so often did a great billow of the river flowing from jove lob his shoulders from above whilst he leaped up with his feet sad in mind and the rapid stream subdued his knees under him and withdrew the sand from beneath his feet but pelides groaned looking toward the wide heaven o father jove how does none of the gods undertake to save me miserable from the river hereafter indeed i would suffer anything but no other of the heavenly inhabitants is so culpable to me as my mother who soothed me with falsehoods and said that i should perish by the fleet arrows of apollo under the wall of the armed trojans would that hector had slain me who here was nurtured the bravest then a brave man would he have slain and have despoiled a brave man but now it is decreed that i be destroyed by an inglorious death overwhelmed in a mighty river like a swineherd's boy whom as he is fording it the torrent overwhelms in wintry weather 
Thus he spoke, but Neptune and Minerva, very quickly advancing, stood near him, but in body they had likened themselves to men, and taking his hands in their hands, strengthened him with words, but to them earth-shaking Neptune began discourse. O son of Peleus, neither now greatly fear, nor yet be at all dismayed. So great allies from among the gods are we to thee, Jove approving it, I and Pallas Minerva, so that it is not decreed that thou shouldst be overcome by a river. It indeed shall soon cease, and thou thyself shalt see it, but let us prudently suggest that thou be obedient, not to stop thy hands from equally destructive war, before thou shalt have enclosed the Trojan army within the renowned walls of Troy, whoever indeed can escape. But do thou, having taken away the life of Hector, return again to the ships, for we grant to thee to bear away glory. They indeed, having thus spoken, departed to the immortals, but he proceeded towards the plain, for the command of the gods strongly impelled him, and it was all filled with the overflowed water. Much beautiful armor and corpses of youths slain in battle floated along, but his knees bounded up against the course of it, rushing straight forward, for Minerva had put great strength into him, nor did Scamander remit his strength, but was the more enraged with the son of Peleus. And he swelled the wave of the stream, and shouting, animated Simoas, O dear brother, let us both at least restrain the force of the man, since he will quickly destroy the great city of King Priam, for the Trojans resist him not in battle, but aid me very quickly, and fill thy streams of water from thy fountains, and rouse all thy rivulets, raise a great wave, and stir up a mighty confusion of stems and stones, that we may restrain this furious man, who now already is victorious, and is bent on deeds equal to the gods. For I think that neither his strength will defend him, nor his beauty at all, nor those beautiful arms which shall lie everywhere in the bottom of my gulf covered with mud himself also will i involve in sand pouring vast abundant silt around him nor shall the greeks know where to gather his bones so much slime will i spread over him and there forthwith shall be his tomb nor shall there be any want to him of entombing when the greeks perform his obsequies he spoke, and raging aloft, turbid, he rushed upon Achilles, murmuring with foam, with blood, and with dead bodies. Immediately the purple water of the Jove-descended river being raised up stood, and seized the son of Peleus. But Juno cried aloud, fearing for Achilles, lest the mighty deep eddying river should sweep him away, and immediately addressed Vulcan, her beloved son. Arise, Vulcan, my son, for we suppose that eddying Xanthus was equally matched in battle against thee, but give aid with all haste, and exhibit thy abundant flame. But I will go excite a severe storm of Zephyrus, and rapid notice from the sea, which bearing a destructive conflagration, may consume the heads and armor of the Trojans. Do thou therefore burn the trees upon the banks of Xanthus, and hurl at himself with fire, nor let him at all avert thee by kind words or threats. Neither do thou previously restrain thy might, but when I shouting shall give the signal then restrain thy indefatigable fire thus she spoke but vulcan darted forth his fierce burning fire first indeed he kindled a fire in the plain and burned many dead bodies which were in abundance over it whom achilles had slain so that the whole plain was dried up and the clear water restrained and as when an autumnal north wind immediately dries a newly watered garden and gratifies him whoever cultivates it so was the whole plain dried and it consumed the dead whereupon he turned his all resplendent flame against the river the elms were burned up and the willows and tamarisks the lotus was consumed and the rushes and reeds which grew in great abundance round the beautiful streams of the river harassed were the eels and the fishes which through the whirlpools and which through the fair streams dived here and there exhausted by the breath of the various artificer vulcan the might of the river was burnt up and he spake and addressed him 
None of the gods, O Vulcan, can oppose thee on equal terms, nor can I contend with thee, thus burning with fire. Cease from combat, and let noble Achilles instantly expel the Trojans from their city. What have I to do with contest and assistance? He spoke, scorched, and his fair streams boiled up, as a cauldron pressed by much fire glows, bubbling up within on all sides, while melting the fat of a delicately fed sow, whilst the dry wood lies beneath it. So were his fair streams dried up with fire, and the water boiled, nor could he flow on, but was restrained, and the vapour raised by the might of crafty Vulcan harassed him. At length, supplicating much, he addressed to Juno winged words. O Juno, why does thy son press upon my stream to annoy me beyond others? Nor truly am I so much to blame as all the others, as many as are assistants to the Trojans. But I will, however, desist if thou biddest, and let him also cease, and I moreover will swear this, that I never will avert the evil day from the Trojans, not even when all burning Troy shall be consumed with destructive fire, and the warlike sons of the Greeks shall burn it. But when the white-armed goddess Juno heard this, she straightway addressed her beloved son Vulcan. Vulcan, my illustrious son, abstain, for it is not fitting thus to persecute an immortal for the sake of mortals. Thus she spoke, and Vulcan extinguished his glowing fire, and the refluent water immediately lowered its fair streams. But when the might of Xanthus was subdued, then indeed they rested, for Juno restrained herself, though enraged. Among the other gods, however, grievous, troublesome contention fell out, and the inclination in their minds was borne in opposite directions. They engaged with a great tumult, and the wide earth re-echoed, and the mighty heaven resounded around, and Jove heard it sitting upon Olympus, and his heart laughed with joy, when he beheld the gods engaging in contest. Then they did not long stand apart, for shield-piercing Mars began, and rushed first against Minerva, holding his brazen spear, and uttered an opprobrious speech. Why thus, O most impudent, having boundless audacity, dost thou join the gods in battle? Has thy great soul incited thee? Dost thou not remember when thou didst urge Diomede, the son of Tydeus, to strike me? And taking the spear thyself, thou didst direct it right against me, and didst lacerate my fair flesh? Now, therefore, I think that I will chastise thee for all that thou hast done against me. So saying, he struck her on the fringed aegis, horrible, which not even the thunderbolt of Jove will subdue. On it gore-tainted Mars smote her with a long spear, but she, retiring, seized in her stout hand a stone lying in the plain, black, rugged, and great, which men of former days had set to be the boundary of a field. With this she struck fierce Mars upon the neck, and relaxed his knees. Seven acres he covered, falling. As to his hair he was defiled with dust, and his armor rang round him. But Pallas Minerva laughed, and boasting over him, addressed to him winged words. Fool, hast thou not yet perceived how much I boast myself to be superior, that thou opposest thy strength to me? Thus indeed dost thou expiate the erroneous of thy mother, who designs mischief against thee, enraged because thou hast deserted the Greeks, and dost aid the treaty-breaking Trojans? Thus having spoken, she turned back her bright eyes, but Venus, a daughter of Jove, taking him by the hand, led him away, groaning very frequently. But he with difficulty collected his spirit, but when the white-armed goddess Juno perceived him, immediately to Minerva she addressed winged words. Alas, O child of age-sparing Jove, invincible, see how again she, most impudent, leads manslaughtering Mars through the tumult from the glowing battle, but follow. Thus she spoke, but Minerva rushed after her, and rejoiced in her mind, and springing upon her, smote her with her stout hand on the breast, and dissolved her knees and dear heart. Then both of them lay upon the fruitful earth. But she, boasting over them, spoke winged words. 
would that all as many as are allies to the trojans when they fight against the armed greeks were so bold and daring as venus came an assistant to mars to oppose my strength then had we long since ceased from battle having overthrown the well-built city of ilium thus she spoke but the white-armed goddess juno smiled and the earth-shaking king addressed apollo phoebus why do we two stand apart nor is it becoming since the others have begun this would be disgraceful if we return without fight to olympus and to the brazen-floored mansion of jove commence for thou art younger by birth for it would not be proper for me since i am elder and know more things fool since thou possessed a senseless heart nor dost at all remember those things how many evils we suffered round ilium when we alone of the gods coming from jove to haughty leomedon labored for a year for a stipulated hire and he commanding gave orders i indeed built a city and wall for the trojans extensive and very beautiful that the city might be impregnable whilst thou o phoebus didst feed his stamping-footed curved horned oxen among the lawns of many veiled woody ida but when now the jocund hours had brought round the period of payment then did violent laomedon forcibly defraud us both of all reward and having threatened dismissed us and defraud us and beside he threatened that he would bind our feet and hands from above and sell us into distant islands and affirmed that he would cut off the ears of both with the brass but we immediately returned back with indignant mind enraged on account of the rewards which having promised he did not make good is it for this thou dost now gratify the people why dost thou not strive along with us that the treaty-breaking trojans may basely perish from the root with their children and modest wives but him the far-darting king apollo in turn addressed o neptune wouldst thou not say that i am prudent if i should now contend with thee for the sake of miserable mortals who like the leaves are at one time very blooming feeding on the fruit of the soil and at another again perish without life rather let us cease from combat as soon as possible and let them decide the matter themselves thus having spoken he turned himself back for he was afraid to come to strife of hands with his uncle but him his sister rustic diana the mistress of wild beasts harshly rebuked and uttered this upbraiding speech fliest thou far darter and hast thou yielded the whole victory to neptune and dost thou give easy glory to him o fool why in vain dost thou hold an useless bow no longer now shall i hear thee boasting in the halls of our sire as formerly amongst the immortal gods that thou wouldst fight in opposition to neptune thus she spoke but her the far darting apollo by no means addressed but the venerable spouse of jove enraged rebuked her who rejoices in arrows with reproaching words how darest thou now fearless wretch stand against me a difficult match am i for thee to be opposed to my strength although thou art a bow-bearer for jove has made thee a lioness among women and suffered thee to kill whatever woman thou wilt certainly it is better to slay wild beasts among the mountains or rustic stags than to fight bravely with thy betters but if thou desirest to have a knowledge of battle come on that thou mayst well know how much the better i am since thou opposest strength to me she spoke and with her left hand seized both diana's hands at the wrist and with her right hand plucked the bow from her shoulders smiling she beat her about the ears with it while she writhed herself and the fleet arrows fell out of her quiver as she moved then the goddess fled weeping like a dove which flies from a hawk to a hollow rock her hiding-place for neither was it fated that she should be taken by it so she fled weeping and left her arrows there but the messenger mercury the slayer of argos addressed latona o latona i will by no means fight with thee for difficult indeed would it be to combat with the wives of cloud-compelling jove but rather very forward among the immortal god boast that thou hast conquered me by violent force 
Thus indeed he spoke, but Latona collected together the bent bow and the arrows which had fallen here and there amid the whirl of dust. She, having taken the arrows, followed her daughter. But the daughter had arrived at Olympus, and at the brazen-floored palace of Jove, and had sat down at the knees of her father weeping, whilst her ambrosial robe trembled around, and her Saturnian father drew towards him, and sweetly smiling, interrogated her. Which now of the heavenly inhabitants, my dear child, has rashly done such things to thee, as of having done some evil openly? But him the fair-crowned mistress of the chase addressed in turn, thy spouse the white-armed juno has injured me o father from whom contention and strife await the immortals thus they indeed spoke with one another but phoebus apollo came to sacred ilium for the wall of the well-built city was a care to him lest the greeks contrary to fate should overthrow it that day the other ever-existing gods however repaired to olympus some indeed indignant but others greatly boasting and they sat down beside their father the collector of dark clouds but Achilles slew at once the Trojans themselves and their solid-hooved steeds, and as when a smoke ascending from a burning city reaches the wide heaven, but the wrath of the gods has excited it, it creates toil to all, and sends grieves upon many, so did Achilles cause toil and grieves to the Trojans. Meanwhile aged Priam stood upon a lofty tower, and observed huge Achilles, but by him the routed Trojans were easily thrown into confusion, nor was there any might in them. Then groaning, he descended from the tower to the ground, in order to direct the illustrious guards at the gates along the wall. Ho, the gates, open in your hands, until the people flying come into the city, for Achilles is at hand routing them. Now I think that destructive deeds will be, but as soon as they revive, hemmed in within the wall, put to again the well-fitted doors, for I tremble lest this destructive man rush within the wall. Thus he spoke. But they opened the gates and pushed back the bolts, and they being opened afforded safety. But Apollo leaped out to meet them, that he might avert destruction from the Trojans. Then they, parched with thirst and covered with dust, fled from the plain directly towards the city and the lofty wall. But he furiously pursued with his spear, for fierce madness constantly possessed his heart, and he burned to bear away glory. Then indeed the sons of the Greeks had taken lofty-gated Troy, had not Phoebus Apollo excited noble Agenor, a hero, the son of Antenor, both blameless and brave, and into his heart he threw courage, and he himself stood beside him, leaning against a beech-tree, that he might avert the heavy hands of death. But he was overshadowed by much darkness. But he, when he perceived Achilles, the destroyer of cities, stood still, and much was his heart darkened, as he remained. And sighing, he thus addressed his own great soul. Alas me, if indeed I fly from terrible Achilles, in the way by which the others routed are flying, even thus will he seize me, and will slay me unwarlike. But if I suffer these to be thrown into confusion by Achilles, the son of Peleus, and fly in another direction on my feet from the wall through the Ilian plain, until I reach the lawns of Ida, and enter its thickets, then indeed, having bathed myself at evening in the river, I may return back to Troy cleansed from sweat. But why does my mind commune these things? Truly he may observe me departing from the city towards the plain, and quickly pursuing may overtake me on his swift feet. Then will it no longer be possible to escape death and fate, for he is very powerful beyond all men. But if I go against him in front of the city, for his body is also without doubt vulnerable by the sharp brass, there is one soul in it, and men say that he is mortal, although Jove the son of Saturn affords him glory. So saying, gathering himself up, he awaited Achilles, and his valiant heart within him burned to combat and to fight. 
as a panther advances from a deep thicket against a huntsman nor is aught troubled in mind nor put to flight although it hears a yelling and although anticipating it he may have wounded or stricken it nevertheless although pierced with a spear it desists not from the combat till either it be engaged in close fight or be subdued thus noble antenor the son of renowned antenor would not fly till he had made trial of achilles but on the contrary held before him his shield equal on all sides and took aim at him with his spear and shouted aloud certainly now thou art great in hopes in thy mind o illustrious achilles that thou wilt this day devastate the city of the magnanimous trojans fool certainly many griefs will be effected over it for in it we are numerous and valiant men who will defend ilium for our beloved parents our wives and our children but thou shalt here fulfil thy destiny although being so terrible and a daring warrior he spoke and hurled the sharp javelin from his heavy hand and struck him in the shin below the knee nor missed but the grieve of newly wrought tin around it horribly resounded and the brazen weapon recoiled from it stricken nor penetrated for the gifts of the god prevented it then the son of peleus next attacked godlike agenor nor did apollo permit him to obtain glory but snatched him away and covered him with much haze and sent him to return peacefully from the battle but he by a stratagem averted the son of peleus from the people for the far darter having likened himself in every respect to agenor stood before his feet and he hastened to pursue him with his feet whilst he was pursuing running before at a small interval over the corn-bearing plain turning towards a deep eddying river scamander for apollo beguiled him by deceit so that he always expected to overtake him on his feet meanwhile the other trojans being routed came delighted in a crowd to the city and the city was full of them shut in nor did they any longer dare to wait for each other without the city and the wall and to inquire who had escaped and who had fallen in the battle but gladly they were poured into the city whomsoever of them the feet and knees preserved end of book the twenty-first read by stephen carney Section twenty two, book the twenty second of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section twenty two, book the twenty second. Argument. Hector persists in remaining outside the walls, despite the entreaties of his father. He flies thrice round Troy, fights, and is slain by Achilles, who drags his body to the fleet at the wheels of his chariot. The lamentations of his wife and parents follow. Thus they, indeed, driven by fright through the city like fawns, were refreshing themselves from sweat, and were drinking and allaying their thirst, leaning against the handsome battlements. But the Greeks were coming near the wall, resting their shields upon their shoulders. But Hector, his destructive fate fettered to remain there, before Ilium and the Scaean gates, and Phoebus Apollo thus addressed the son of Peleus. Why, O son of Peleus, dost thou pursue me, an immortal god, with swift feet, thyself being a mortal? Nor yet hast thou at all discovered that I am a god, but thou incessantly ragest. For certainly the labor of the Trojans is not now a care to thee, whom thou hast routed, and who are now enclosed within their city, while thou art turned aside hither neither canst thou slay me since i am not mortal but him swift-footed achilles greatly indignant addressed 
thou hast injured me, O far darter, most destructive of all gods, having now turned me away hither from the wall. Certainly many had now seized the earth with their teeth before they had arrived at Ilium, but now hast thou deprived me of great glory, and hast preserved them easily. For thou didst not at all dread vengeance after. Certainly I would punish thee, if the power at least were mine. Thus saying, he went towards the city, greatly elate, hastening like a steed which bears away the prize, with his chariot, which striving hard, runs swiftly over the plain. So Achilles briskly moved his feet and his knees. But him aged Priam first beheld with his eyes, rushing over the plain, all shining like a star which rises in autumn, and its resplendent rays shine among many stars in the depth of the night, which by name they call the dog of Orion. Very bright indeed is this, but it is a baleful sign, and brings violent heat upon miserable mortals. So shone the brass round the breast of him running, but the old man groaned, and smote his head with his hands, raising them on high, and groaning he cried out greatly, supplicating his dear son. But he stood before the Scaean gates, insatiably eager to fight with Achilles. But the old man piteously addressed him, stretching out his hands. O Hector, do not, my beloved son, await this man alone without others, lest that thou shouldst speedily draw on fate, subdued by the son of Peleus, since he is much more powerful. Cruel would that he were only as dear to the gods as he is to me. Quickly then would the dogs and vultures devour him lying low. Surely sad grief would then depart from my heart. He who has made me deprived of many and brave sons, slaying and selling them into far distant islands. For even now the Trojans, being shut up in the city, I cannot see my two sons, like Aeon and Polydorus, whom Theothe bore to me, queen among women. But if indeed they live at the camp, surely we will afterwards redeem them with brass and with gold. For it is within, for aged Altes, renowned by fame, gave many things to his daughter. But if they are already dead, and in the mansion of Hades grief will be to my soul, and to their mother, we who gave them birth. But to the other people the grief will be shorter, if thou shouldst not die, subdued by Achilles. But come inside the wall, O my son, that thou mayest save the Trojan men and women, nor afford great glory to the son of Peleus, and thou thyself be deprived of thy dear life. Moreover, pity me, wretched, yet still preserving my senses, unhappy, whom the Saturnian sire will destroy by grievous fate upon the threshold of old age, having seen many evils, my sons slain, my daughters dragged captives, their chambers plundered, and my infant children dashed upon the earth in dire hostility, and my daughters-in-law torn away by the pernicious hands of the Greeks, and myself perhaps the last, the raw devouring dogs whom I have nourished in my palaces, the attendants of my table, the guards of my portals will tear at the entrance of the gates after some one having stricken or wounded me with a sharp brass shall take away my soul from my limbs and who drinking my blood will lie in the porch infuriated in mind to a young man indeed slain in battle lacerated with a sharp brass it is altogether becoming to lie for all things are honourable to him dead whatever may appear but when dogs dishonour the grey head the hoary beard and privy members of an old man slain that is indeed most pitiable among wretched mortals the old man spoke and tore out the hoary locks with his hands plucking them from his head nor did he persuade the mind of hector 
but his mother then on the other side wailing shed tears laying bare her bosom whilst with the other hand she laid forth her breast and shedding tears addressed to him winged words o hector my son reverence these things and pity me myself if ever i afforded thee the grief lulling breast remember these things o dear son and being within the wall repel this hostile man nor stand a foremost adversary to him wretched one for if he shall slay thee neither shall i mourn thee on thy couch my dear offspring whom i myself brought forth nor will thy rich dowered wife but far away from us both the swift dogs will devour thee at the ships of the greeks thus weeping they twain addressed their dear son supplicating him much nor did they persuade the mind of hector but he awaited huge achilles coming near and as a fierce serpent at its den fed on evil poisons awaits a man but direful rage enters it and it glares horribly coiling itself around its den so hector possessing inextinguishable courage retired not leaning his splendid shield against a projecting tower but indignant he thus addressed his own great-hearted soul ah me if indeed i enter the gates and the wall polydamus will first cast reproach upon me he who advised me to lead the trojans towards the city in this disastrous night when noble achilles arose to battle but i did not obey certainly it would have been much better and now since by my injurious obstinacy i have destroyed the people i fear the trojan men and the long-robed trojan women lest some one inferior to me should say hector relying on his own strength hath destroyed the people thus will they say but it would have been far better for me slaying achilles in the encounter to return or gloriously to be slain by him for the city but if now i shall lay down my bossed shield and stout helmet and resting my spear against the wall i myself going shall come before renowned achilles and promise that we will give to the atrides to lead away helen and all the numerous possessions along with her whatever paris brought to troy in his hollow barks and who was the origin of the contention and at the same time that we will divide others as many as this city contains among the greeks but again i should exact an oath from the elders of the trojans that they would conceal nothing but divide all things into two portions whatever treasure this delightful city contains within it yet why does my soul discuss such things i dread lest i going should reach him but he pity me not nor at all respect me but slay me being thus naked as a woman after i have put off my armour nor indeed is it now allowed to converse with him from an oak or from a rock as a virgin and a youth a virgin and youth converse with one another but it is better to engage him in strife that as soon as possible we may know to which indeed the olympian jove will give glory thus he pondered remaining but near him came achilles like unto the helmet-shaking warrior mars brandishing upon his right shoulder the dreadful pelian ash but the brass shone around like unto the splendor either of a blazing fire or of the rising sun then as tremor seized hector he perceived him nor could he remain there any longer but he left the gates behind him and fled affrighted but the son of peleus rushed on trusting to his swift feet as a falcon in the mountains the swiftest of birds easily dashes after a timid pigeon she indeed flying away she indeed flies away obliquely but he close at hand shrilly screaming frequently assails and his spirit orders him to seize her thus eager he flew right on but hector fled in terror under the wall of the trojans and moved his fleet limbs then they rushed by the prospect ground and the wind-waving fig-tree always under the wall along the public way and reached the two flare 
and reach the two fair flowing springs where the two springs of the eddying scamander rise the one indeed flows with tepid water and a steam arises from it around as of burning fire whilst the other flows forth in the summer-time like unto hail or cold snow or ice from water there at them are the wide handsome stone basins where the wives and fair daughters of the trojans used to wash their splendid garments formerly in time of peace before the sons of the greeks arrived in this direction they ran past the one flying but the other pursuing from behind a brave man indeed fled before but a much braver swiftly pursued him since they did not seek to obtain a victims or bull's hide such as are the rewards of men for speed but they ran for the life of horse-breaking hector and as when prize-winning solid-hoofed steeds ran very swiftly round the course and a great reward is proposed either a tripod or a woman in honour of a deceased hero so they thrice made the circuit of the city of priam with their swift feet and all the gods beheld then to them the father of men and gods commenced an address alas certainly i behold with mine eyes a beloved hero pursued round the wall and my heart is grieved on account of hector who has sacrificed many thighs of oxen to me upon the tops of many veiled ida and at other times again in the highest places of the city but now indeed noble achilles pursues him on swift feet around the city of priam but come deliberate o ye gods and consider whether we shall preserve him from death or shall subdue him now being brave at the hands of achilles the son of peleus but him the blue-eyed goddess minerva then addressed o father hurler of the white thunder collector of dark clouds what a word hast thou spoken dost thou wish to liberate from sad death a man being mortal long ago destined to fate do it but all we the other gods will not assent to thee her then the cloud-compelling jupiter answering addressed take courage tritonia beloved child i by no means speak with serious mind but i wish to be mild to thee do as is the inclination nor delay at all thus speaking he incited minerva already prepared and springing forth she descended down from the heights of olympus but swift achilles pursued hector incessantly pressing upon him and as when a dog pursues the fawn of a deer in the mountains having roused it from its lair through both glens and thickets and although panic-stricken it crouches down beneath a brake yet tracking it he runs continually on until he finds it so hector eluded not the swift-footed son of peleus as often as he would rush against the dardanian gates towards under the well-built towers if perchance they might aid him with missile weapons from above so often previously anticipating him he turned him away towards the plain whilst he himself always flew on the side of the city and as in a dream one cannot pursue a fugitive neither can the one escape the other nor the other pursue so the one could not overtake the other in his speed nor the other escape him but how then could hector have escaped the fates of death if apollo had not for the very last time met him who aroused for him his courage and swift knees but noble achilles nodded to the people with his head nor permitted them to cast their bitter weapons at hector lest some one wounding him should obtain the glory and he himself come second but when for the fourth time they arrived at the fountains then indeed the sire raised aloft his golden scales and placed in them the two fates of death bearing long sleep this of achilles but that of horse-breaking hector holding them by the middle he poised them and the fatal day of hector inclined and sunk to hades but phoebus apollo left him then the blue-eyed goddess minerva approached the son of peleus and standing near addressed to him winged words now o illustrious achilles dear to jove 
i hope that we too shall bear back great glory to the greeks at the ships having slain hector although being insatiate of war now certainly it is no longer possible for him to escape us not even if far-darting apollo should toil much throwing himself at the feet of the eight despairing father jove but do thou now stand and revive but i approaching with thee will persuade him to engage thee face to face thus spoke minerva but he obeyed and rejoiced in his mind and stood leaning upon his ashen brass-pointed spear but she then left him and overtook noble hector likening herself to deiphobus unwearied in her body and voice and standing near she addressed to him winged words o brother dear certainly swift achilles now greatly presses on thee pursuing thee with rabid feet round the city of priam but come now let us stand and awaiting repulse him but her mighty crest-tossing hector in turn addressed deiphobus certainly thou wert ever before by far the dearest to me of my brothers the sons whom hecuba and priam produced but now i think in my mind that i honour thee still more since thou hast dared for my sake when thou dost behold me with thine eyes to come out of the city while others remain within but him the azure-eyed goddess minerva in turn addressed my brother dear my father and venerable mother indeed greatly supplicated me by turn embracing my knees and my companions around to remain there so much do all tremble with fear but my mind within was harassed with sad grief but now let us forthwith eagerly engage nor let there any longer be a sparing of our spears that we may know whether achilles having slain us both shall bear our bloody spoils to the hollow barks or be subdued by thy spear thus having spoken minerva also with deception led on but when they were near advancing towards each other him mighty crest-tossing hector first addressed no longer o son of peleus will i fly as ye before thrice have i fled round the great city of priam nor ever dared to await thee coming on but now my mind urges me to stand against thee certainly i shall slay or be slain but come let us attest the gods for they will be the best witnesses and observers of agreements for neither will i cruelly insult thee if indeed jove shall give me the victory and i take away thy life but after i shall despoil thy beautiful armour o achilles i will give back thy body to the greeks and so also do thou but him swift-footed achilles sternly regarding addressed talk not to me of covenants o most cursed hector as there are not faithful leagues between lions and men nor yet have wolves and lambs an according mind but ever meditate evils against each other so it is not possible for thee and me to contract a friendship nor shall there at all be leagues between us first shall one falling satiate the invincible warrior mars with his blood call to mind all thy valour now it is very necessary for thee to be born a spearman and a daring warrior nor is there any longer any escape for thee for pallas minerva at once subdues thee beneath my spear and thou shalt now pay for all the accumulated sorrows of my companions whom thou hast slain raging with the spear he spoke and brandishing it sent forth his long shadowed spear and illustrious hector seeing it opposite avoided it for looking before him he sunk down and the brazen spear passed over him and was fixed in the earth but pallas minerva plucked it out and gave it back to achilles and escaped the notice of hector the shepherd of the people then hector addressed the illustrious son of peleus thou hast erred o godlike achilles nor art thou yet acquainted with my fate from jove certainly thou didst say so but thou art a praetor and very subtle in words in order that dreading thee i may be forgetful of my strength and courage but not in my back whilst flying shalt thou thrust thy spear 
but shall drive it through my breast, rushing right on, if God grants this to thee. But now in turn avoid my brazen spear, but now in turn avoid my brazen spear. Would that thou mightest now receive it all in thy body. Then truly would the war become lighter to the Trojans, thou being slain, for thou art the greatest bane to them. He spoke, and brandishing, sent forth his long-shadowed spear, and struck the centre of Pelides's shield, nor missed, but the spear was repelled far away from the shield. But Hector was enraged, because his swift weapon had fled in vain from his hand, and stood dejected, for he had not another ashen spear. Then he called upon the white-shielded Deiphobus, greatly shouting, and he asked him for a long spear. But he was not near him, and Hector perceived in his mind, and said, Alas! Without doubt now the gods have summoned me to death, for I indeed thought the hero Deiphobus was by my side, but he is within the wall, and Minerva has deceived me. But now is evil death near me, nor far away, neither is there escape. Certainly this long since was more agreeable to Jove, and to the far-darting son of Jove, who formerly propitious preserved me, but now on the contrary fate overtakes me. Nevertheless I will not perish cowardly, and ingloriously at least but having done some great deed to be heard of even by posterity. Thus having spoken, he drew his sharp sword, which hung below his loins, both huge and strong, and with collected might rushed forward like a lofty soaring eagle, which swoops to the plain through the gloomy clouds, about to snatch either a tender lamb or a timid hare. Thus Hector rushed forward, brandishing his sharp sword. Achilles also rushed on and filled his soul with fierce rage. He sheltered his breast in front with his shield, beautiful, curiously wrought, and nodded with his shining helmet, four-coned. But the beautiful golden tufts, which Vulcan had diffused in great abundance round the cone, were shaken. As the star Hesperus, which is placed the brightest star in heaven, proceeds amongst the other stars in the unseasonable time of night, so it shone from the well-sharpened spear which Achilles, designing mischief to noble Hector, eyeing his fair person where it would best yield. But the beautiful brazen armor, of which he had despoiled great Patroclus having slain him, covered the rest of his body so much, yet did there appear a part where the collar-bones separated the neck from the shoulders, and where the destruction of life is most speedy. There noble Achilles, eager, drove into him with a spear, and the point went out quite through his tender neck, However, the ash, heavy with brass, did not cut away the windpipe, so that answering in words he could address him. But he fell in the dust, and noble Achilles vaunted over him. Hector, thou didst once suppose, when spoiling Patroclus, that thou be safe, nor dreaded me being absent. Fool, for I apart, a much braver avenger of him, was left behind at the hollow ships, I, who have relaxed thy knees. The dogs indeed and birds shall dishonorably tear thee, but the Greeks shall perform his funeral rites. But him, crest-tossing Hector, growing languid, then addressed, I supplicate thee by thy soul, thy knees, thy parents, suffer not the dogs to tear me at the ships of the Greeks, but do thou indeed receive brass in abundance, and gold which my father and venerable mother will give thee, and send my body home, that the Trojans and wives of the Trojans may make me dead, partaker of a funeral pyre. But him, swift-footed Achilles, sternly regarding, addressed, Dog, supplicate me not by my knees, nor by my parents, for would that my might and mind in any manner urge me myself, tearing thy raw flesh to pieces, to devour it, such things hast thou done to me, so that there is not any one who could drive away the dogs from thy head, not even if they should place tenfold and twenty times such ransoms, bringing them hither, and even promise others. 
not even if dardanian priam should wish to compensate for thee with gold not even thus shall thy venerable mother lament thee whom she has borne having laid thee upon a bier but dogs and fowls shall entirely tear thee in pieces but him crest-tossing hector dying addressed surely well knowing thee i foresaw this nor was i destined to persuade thee for truly within thee there is an iron soul reflect now lest to thee i be some cause of the wrath of the gods on that day when paris and phoebus apollo shall kill thee though being brave at the scaean gates as he spoke thus the end of death overshadowed him and his soul flying from his limbs descended to hades bewailing its destiny relinquishing vigor and youth but him although dead noble achilles addressed die but i will then receive my fate whensoever jove may please to accomplish it and the other immortal gods he spoke and plucked the spear from the corpse and then laid it aside but he spoiled the bloody armor from his shoulders but the other sons of the greeks ran round who also admired the stature and wondrous form of hector nor did any stand by without inflicting a wound and thus would some one say looking to his neighbor o strange surely hector is now much more gentle to be touched than when he burned the ships with glowing fire thus would some one say and standing by would wound him but swift-footed achilles after he had despoiled him standing amongst the greeks spoke winged words o friends leaders and princes of the greeks since the gods have granted us to subdue this hero he who did as many mischiefs as did not all the others together come let us make trial round the city with our arms that we may learn concerning the trojans what mind they have whether they are about to desert the citadel he being slain or intend to remain hector being no more but why does my mind within me deliberate these things patroclus lies at the ships an unwept unburied corpse and him i shall never forget as long as i am amongst the living and my dear knees move for me and though they forget the dead in hades yet will i remember my beloved comrade even there but come now ye youths of the greeks singing a paean let us return to the hollow ships and let us bring him we bear back great glory we have slain noble hector whom the trojans throughout the city worshipped as a god he spoke and was meditating unseemly deeds against noble hector he perforated the tendons of both his feet behind from the heel to the instep and fastened in them leather thongs and bound him from the chariot but left his head to be trailed along then ascending his chariot and taking up the splendid armor he lashed the horses to go on and they not unwilling flew but the dust arose from him while trailed along and his azure locks around approached the ground and his entire head once graceful lay in the dust for jupiter had then granted to his enemies to dishonor him in his own fatherland thus indeed his whole head was denied with dust but his mother plucked out her hair and cast away her shining veil and wept very loudly having beheld her son and his dear father groaned piteously and all the people around were occupied in wailing and lamentation through the city and it was very like to this as if all ilium from its summit were smouldering in fire with difficulty indeed did the people detain the old man indignant with grief anxious to rush out from the dardanian gate for rolling in the mud he was supplicating all addressing each by name desist my friends and permit me alone grieved as i am going out of the city to approach the ships of the greeks i will supplicate this reckless violent man if perchance he may respect my time of life and have compassion on my old age for such is his father peleus to him he who begat and nurtured him a destruction to the trojans but particularly to me above all has he caused sorrows for so many blooming youths has he slain to me 
for all of whom I do not lament so much, although grieved, as for this one, Hector, keen grief for whom will bear me down even to Hades. Would that he had died in my hands, for thus we should have been satisfied, weeping and lamenting, both his unhappy mother who bore him, and I myself. Thus he spoke, weeping, but the citizens also groaned. But among the Trojan dames, Hecuba began her continued lamentation. O oh, my son, why do wretched I live, having suffered grievous things, thou being dead? Thou who by night and day wast my boast throughout the town, and an advantage to the Trojan men and women throughout the city, who received thee as a god. For assuredly thou wast a very great glory to them when alive. Now, on the contrary, death and fate possess thee. Thus she spoke weeping. But the wife of Hector had not yet learned anything. No certain messenger going informed her that her husband had remained without the gates. But she was weaving a web in a retired part of her lofty house, double, splendid, and was spreading on it various painted works. And she had ordered her fair-haired attendants through the palace to place a large tripod on the fire, that there might be a warm bath for Hector returning from the battle. Foolish! Nor knew she that far away from baths, Azir-eyed Minerva had subdued him by the hands of Achilles, but she heard the shriek and wailing from the tower, and her limbs were shaken, and the shuttle fell from her to the ground, and immediately she addressed her fair-haired attendants. Come hither, let you follow me, that I may see what deeds have been done. I heard the voice of my venerable mother-in-law, and to myself the heart within my breast leaps up to my mouth, and the limbs under me are benumbed. Surely some evil is now near the sons of Priam. Oh, that the word may be far from my ear. I dread lest brave Achilles, having already cut off noble Hector alone from the city, may drive him towards the plain, and even now have made him desist from the fatal valour which possessed him. For he never remained among the throng of warriors, but leaped out far before, yielding in his valour to none. Thus having spoken, she rushed through the palace like unto one deranged, greatly palpitating in heart, and her attendants went along with her. But when she reached the tower and the crowd of men, she stood looking round over the wall, and beheld him dragged before the city. But the fleet steeds drew him ruthlessly toward the ships of the Greeks. Then gloomy night veiled her over her eyes, and she fell backwards, and breathed out her soul in a swoon. But from her head fell the beautiful headgear, the garland, the net, and the twisted fillet, and the veil which golden Venus had given to her on that day when crest-tossing Hector led her from the palace of Aetion after he had presented many marriage gifts. Around her in great numbers stood her sisters-in-law, and sisters who supported her amongst them, seized with stupor unto death. But when she again revived, and her soul was collected in her breast, sobbing at intervals, she spoke among the Trojan dames. Hector, O oh, wretched me! Then we were both born to a like fate, thou indeed in Troy, in the mansions of Priam, but I in Thebe, beneath woody Placus in the palace of Aetion, who himself ill-fated reared me, ill-fated being yet a little child. Would that he had not begotten me. Now, however, thou goest to the mansions of Hades beneath the recesses of the earth, but leavest me in hateful grief, a widow in the dwelling, and thy boy yet such an infant, to whom thou and I unfortunate gave birth. Nor wilt thou be an advantage to him, O Hector, for thou art dead, nor he to thee. For even if he shall escape the mournful war of the Greeks, still will labor and hardship ever be to him hereafter. For others will deprive him of his fields by changing the landmarks. But the bereaving day renders a boy destitute of his contemporaries. He is ever dejected, and his cheeks are bedewed with tears. 
the boy in want shall go to the companions of his father pulling one by the cloak another by the tunic and some of these pitying shall present him with a very small cup and he shall moisten his lips but not wet his palate him also some one enjoying both parents shall push away from the banquet striking him with his hands and reviling him with reproaches a marine on thee even thy father feasts not with us then shall the boy astynax return weeping to his widowed mother he who formerly indeed upon the knees of his own father ate marrow alone and the rich fat of sheep but when sleep came upon him and he ceased childishly crying used to sleep on couches in the arms of a nurse in a soft bed full as to his heart with delicacies but now indeed astynax whom the trojans call by surname because thou alone didst defend their gates and lofty walls for them shall suffer many things missing his dear father but now shall the crawling worms devour thee naked at the curved ships far away from thy parents after the dogs shall have satiated themselves by thy robes the fine and graceful woven by the hands of women lie in thy palaces truly all these single i consume with burning fire being of no use to me for thou wilt not lie on them but let them be a glory to thee before the trojans and the trojan dames thus she spoke weeping and the females also mourned End of Book the 22nd, read by Stephen Carney.